Donna's stealing my opening words. That's exactly right. You and I have the opportunity to worship in a place like this this morning because of that text that she just read. Acts 10 and 11. The church is not just for the Jewish people, not just for the nation of Israel any longer. At this point in the text, going forward, the gospel in the book of Acts and the rest of the Bible is for all people. And it expands exponentially around the Mediterranean Empire. And for the next 2,000 years of history, up until today, the church continues to expand. And God is continually on the move around the world today. And that's why we pray for the world uh, in such an intentional way. And pray for people like the Uzbeks. Pray for nations like Italy and Japan. uh, Because the, the gospel is for all people. God has made a way for every single person. So thank you, Donna, for taking the opening comment, because that's exactly where I was going. If you've been with us for the last several months, we've been going through the book of Acts. Um, We were away from that last week because we had a beautiful joint service together with our brothers and sisters um, in the Spanish-speaking congregation, Iglesia de Dios. Um, But that was actually right in line with what we've been learning, right, is that the gospel is for all people. Uh, every tribe, language, uh, tongue, and nation. And so, uh, but this week we're jumping back into Acts, uh, looking at Acts 10 and then into uh, chapter 11. As you know, we're kind of going briskly through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter. And this morning, the, the theme of the, of the lesson this morning is how, how the church is uncommon. Uh, so in the English Standard Version, which I was preparing in this week, the ESV, the The way that it was described was God saying, don't call something common that that I have made uh, beautiful, that I've made pure and clean. Uh, Your your version may may say something like, don't call something unclean what I have made clean. Um, But the idea here is that the church is is uncommon. Uh, When you're you're talking about something common, uh, for a Jewish person, they were thinking... uh, a commoner is a Gentile, is someone who's outside of the religious or uh, purity bounds of the church or of, of the religious order. And so they say that's just a common person. Um, but God says, don't, don't call the Gentiles common or unclean anymore. Because what I'm about to do is bring in a whole new understanding of what it means to be saved. And it's not just through the nation of Israel any longer. But it's through uh, the gospel made known to all people. So a couple of weeks, you may already be, if if you were here a couple of weeks ago, this may be ringing some bells. Because we've been using terminology like common uh, or community. Uh, Even a couple of weeks ago, I I preached a sermon several weeks ago from Acts 2, 42 to 47. Talking about the common nature of the church. uh, How the church has all things in common. And the early church showed us just this beautiful example of being generous, of uh, sharing things, of coming together. And we talked about how the church is common. But you may, maybe you'll remember this. From that sermon, there was one of my points was the church is common in the sense of there's a community that you come together and you're one. But it's also uncommon. And the reason for that is, is that unity or togetherness or having all things in common is very uncommon in the world. And we see that very clearly in our world today. Unity is a a tricky thing to get. 
Um, so the church does common things like reading or praying or singing. You can read, pray, or sing in a lot of contexts. So that's a very common thing. But this morning, we're going to really focus on the uncommon aspect of the church and what this means. How is the church uncommon in the world today? What is it that is intrinsically different about this common group of people known as the church? And so today we're looking at the one dramatic history-altering moment in church history, but also in human history, when the whole thing changed in a clear, defining moment of it's not just about this group anymore, but now it's about everybody. When previously common assumptions about the church or God's people was to only be suddenly smashed open into a whole new reality that opens it up to you and to me. So what I'm going to be asking you to look for in the weeks ahead as we go into future parts in the book of Acts is, you know, we've talked about God on the move, which we've been looking for moments of that in the book of Acts. But now I'm going to ask you to look going forward for when God is on the move, what is happening that is uncommon from now on? So as we look today but also in future chapters and acts. Look for uncommon things, things that you don't really see anywhere else. So I was thinking today, uh, or this week as I was preparing, what are, what's a good example of that, of seeing things that are uncommon? You know, I, I think it happens to us when you're just walking around in everyday life. Sometimes things catch your eye that are uncommon, just things that maybe are out of place that you're like, that, that usually isn't supposed to be there, but it caught my attention because it's uncommon. And I was trying to think of a good example, and I think the best one I could come up with was when I first moved to New England, I moved to New England at the end of January, 2011. And you may think I'm going one direction with this, but I'm going another direction. At the end of January, I moved to New England, and you know what I found uncommon? People still had Christmas decorations up outside of their houses. A lot of people still had wreaths on their doors. A lot of people still had lights on the outside of their homes. A lot of people still had Christmas trees up inside their homes. I could see it you know, as I drove by in the windows. And that, that, that was not something I ever saw down south, where I grew up in North Carolina. But in New England, people keep Christmas decorations up a little bit longer. And that was uncommon to me. And I began to realize that probably the reason people do it is the winter is long. It's dark. It's snowy. And people like the feeling of lights and festivity Let's just keep them up a little bit longer, just to show some hope for our world. So in similar ways, how is the church uncommon? I'm going to give you a couple of ways this morning as we go through this giant text in uh, Acts 10 and 11. The first thing I want to point out is that the church sees the world or sees things with uncommon vision. Uncommon vision. One thing that you'll see throughout this passage, which Donna read one part of it, but the reason that was a good portion to read is because in Acts 10 and 11, that story that she read is actually recounted three times. And scholars like to say they repeat it three times so that you can see how important it is. They repeat it so that you don't miss it. And one thing you see in each of those three retellings of the story is vision. God gives a vision to Peter, and he gives a vision to this man named Cornelius. 
So in the beginning of Acts chapter 10, uh, you'll see that there's a man in Caesarea who was named Cornelius, and he was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, meaning that he was uh, the leader of a portion of the Roman army. So Cornelius was a Gentile. It said he was a God-fearer. It says that he prayed to God. So he had probably had some interaction with Jewish people. He may have even been involved in a Jewish synagogue. Um, so he, he, had, he had some of the prerequisites to coming to faith, but he was a Gentile. And at that time, there was a giant barrier between what he could do and what a Jewish person could do. And you'll see that as the story goes on. But God opens eyes. God opens the eyes of his church so they can see things and then do something with it. And so I want to open our eyes to something that I found unique this morning from this passage uh, that's a little sneaky, right from the very beginning. You'll see here that it says uh, he was in Caesarea. Uh, But what's really important that I want to point out that I, I just haven't really heard taught on a whole lot is where Peter is. So if you go back into chapter 9, a few verses, uh, this, we didn't preach on this. We, we skipped over this just because there's a lot to do. But in verse 43, it says, And Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. So Peter is about 30 miles away from Cornelius. Cornelius is in Caesarea. Peter's in the small town, the seaside village of Joppa. And he's there resting with his friend. Yeah, I kind of get this picture of him just relaxing by the beach. He's, kinda, he's in this seaside waterfront village. He's resting because he's just done these two amazing miracles. He's just raised a woman from the dead. That's what that passage is about. You should go read it in Acts chapter 9. But why, why do I bring up Joppa? This is why I bring up Joppa. We did a Bible study this week in our church on Zoom talking about the prophet Jonah. And the prophet Jonah was given a vision by God in Jonah chapter 1 to go to Nineveh east to share the good news with the Ninevites in Assyria. Do you remember what what Jonah did? He went the other way. He went west. And guess where he went? Joppa. First, he landed in Joppa. And from Joppa, he got on a boat and kept going farther west, and that's where he had his famous encounter with the large fish. But he landed in Joppa. Jonah lands in Joppa, trying to run away from God after getting a vision. And what I think is interesting here in this passage is you see one of the disciples of Jesus landing in Joppa, and you're about to see him get a vision. And I want you to be looking out for what he does in response to God's vision. Does he run away from God? Even though it's a confusing vision, what does he do? Or what does Peter do when he's in Joppa? Does he continue going east, the other direction? Or does he listen to what God does? So this is a, a story, I think, in a lot of ways, of Peter and Jonah putting them up against each other through this lens of Joppa. What do you do when God gives you a vision to do something that seems radical? Again, Jonah couldn't understand why the good news would go to Nineveh. How could it go to those people who are enslaving Jewish people? who were going to carry them off into exile. How possibly could they receive the good news? I think Peter probably is thinking a similar thing when a big vision comes from God later in chapter 10 where he says, hey, listen, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. The gospel is going to be made available to the Gentiles now. How does Peter respond to that? We're going to get to that part in just a moment. But the first vision comes to a man named Cornelius. He gets a vision in Caesarea 
And it, it basically says, uh, it says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, verse 4. And he says, now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So again, he says, God says, go to Joppa and bring Peter to me. Again, think about Jonah running away from Joppa. Now God is going to Joppa to bring someone to him to open up a new vision. God, God delights. He delights in opening up our eyes and giving us new, fresh visions of the world, of taking something that maybe we made really small, not even intentionally, but just over time, we just made something small or kind of dull, and we just kind of seen the world through this one little lens. God loves to expand that. Kind of like our stained glass window in the foyer has a big, bright, shining light behind it. You know, like when you walk, like when I'm here Monday to Friday, we usually keep the light off, and it's just kind of a dull window. But on Sunday morning, we flip the light on behind it. Beauty. Beautiful window. That's what God loves to do by giving us vision for what he's going to do. And he's been preparing the church for this moment in Acts 10. The prophet Joel, it says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. And so here the Holy Spirit has come on his church. And now you see people seeing visions. Cornelius, Peter, remember Paul a couple of weeks ago in Acts 9. God shows vision to his people. This is by his grace and his delight and his pleasure. He loves showing people how things are going to be. Changing, reframing the way we look at the world. Reframing how you and I look at Salem. Salem, it's a big, dark, scary city with witches and dark things and Halloween. And yeah, well, that's true, but God is the God of Salem. God is the God of light who wants to bring a new vision and hope for this city. And he wants you and I to be part of it as his church. And you'll notice here that the visions come by prayer. Cornelius was praying to God. And in, in, a, in a response and an affirmation to his prayers and to his generous giving, God gives him this vision. And so uh, he saw clearly in a vision, and he goes, and he sends his people to go find Peter. And then beginning in verse 9, again, you see the second vision. So Cornelius has a vision, and now you see Peter has his vision, which Donna read the third version of it. Peter here is given the first version of it in verse 9. So verses 9 to 16. And how does, how does Peter's vision come to? By praying. It says he goes up to the flat roof. He's on top of the flat roof, and he's praying. And what I think is good, too, it's, so it's, it's 1125 today on a Sunday morning, which means my body clock tells me I'm about 30 minutes away from lunch. And I'm, my belly's getting a little hungry, and we're going to have some snacks after the service here in just a minute, but I'm getting a little hungry. It says here that Peter was a little hungry. It says that they were preparing the food uh, for them in the, next, uh, in the next house over. And uh, it says he was going, it says, so verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And he's praying. And uh, as he's hungry and as he's praying, God gives him this vision. And the vision is of animals, of things to eat. Uh, which maybe when you're hungry, you get visions of things to eat too. Sometimes I do. Oh, that sounds really good. But God here is kind of using his hunger as a way to expose something pretty great 
about a bigger reality, something, a, a deeper hunger that God has for the world, uh, and that certainly Gentiles around the world have a hunger for, which is salvation, which is hope, which is redemption, which is a problem, a, a solving of the problem of sin that every person has deep within them. Gentiles have that problem too, Peter. That's essentially what God is saying to Peter through this vision. He's saying, I know the Levitical laws say that this is unclean, but I'm making it clean now. I'm giving you this vision. It's a big correction that God is giving to the church. It takes him three times to say this. Verse 16, it says, they sh- it says this happened three times, and the thing was then taken back up into heaven. Three times this vision is seen by Peter. Remember how many times this is repeated to us in Acts? Three times. It takes Peter three times to see it. And I think Luke, the writer of Acts, says it's going to take readers throughout history to get this. It's going to take you three times, too. So church, three times we're told here that the gospel is open for all people. And I think that's a corrective for us today, too. Of Again, a couple weeks ago, we said God doesn't give up on people. Look at Paul. He was a murderer. He was a terrible guy who was murdering Christians, and God uses him, saves him, and the disciples had a hard time believing it. Church, may we, again, let's be reminded, the gospel is for all people. No one is ever too far gone. May that be a vision that we never forget. Think of our friends. Think of our neighbors. Think of some really tough people that you've met in your life and say, oh, how could God ever save that person? He could save anybody because he's the God of power and love and salvation. That's the first big point. God opens uh, our eyes. He, has, he gives us uncommon vision. Secondly, uh, the church has uncommon care. And again, this is picking up from themes from previous sermons too, but we talked a few weeks ago about the church being a servant people and how a lot of places in the world serve well also. So how does the church serve when other places serve really well too? Well, I just, as I look from verses 17 to 48, and again, we don't have time to read the whole part here, but I encourage you to go back and look at it, is look at how Peter cares for Cornelius and the people that come to him in this passage. God God opens the heart of Peter here. And, And the thing I think that I want to emphasize maybe the most out of this is that in verse 17, it says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius stood at the gate. Peter was still trying to come to grips with what God said. He didn't understand it yet. I don't even think he fully believed it yet. I'm not sure he was convinced. It says he was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision had been. Had been. But nonetheless, Peter is present with Cornelius. He makes himself available. He's there. He's a faithful presence to Cornelius. He's still pondering the vision, but he makes himself available. He goes and he does what he's told. He is the opposite of Jonah. He doesn't run the other way because of a scary vision. He just sits in it. And he says, God, I'm perplexed. (laughs) I don't really understand what you're doing. This is so different than everything you've seemed to tell us in the Old Testament. I'm not really there yet. I'm going to probably need some working on this, but I'm here. 
and I'm going to be able to be used. Lord, use me as you wish. And it's in large part because the Holy Spirit told him that. Verse 19, it says, While Peter was still pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, These three men are looking for you. This is the theme in Acts. The Holy Spirit works through his church, speaks to his people, is present with you and I today. The same Spirit that is with that church is with this church today. And he speaks and he opens us to care in uncommon, beautiful ways. It's all about people. This whole passage, I mean, you can look at the, the, the reptiles and the animals and like the sheet and kind of get confused by that and get led astray by that a little bit. But the core of this passage is about people. God cares for people. He cares for the fingerprints of every person that we saw in the children's story. Every unique person God cares for. It's all about people. God shows no partiality, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth, verse 34, and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That was revolutionary in the early church. And it's revolutionary today. Think about how prominent the theme of racism is in our world today. The struggle of seeing people as equal, that God does not show partiality. This is still something our world reckons with, things that our world has wars over. Nations are torn apart because people think that there is partiality between people. And here we are being corrected by the scriptures saying God shows no partiality. But the only two qualifiers that people need to know God is what? Anyone that fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him, which we are instructed by his word about what is right and what is acceptable to him. What sacrifices do we bring to the Lord? A broken and contrite heart. That's what's acceptable to the Lord. The church gives uncommon care by preaching the good news, which Peter does here in verse 36 to 43. It says he opened his mouth and proclaimed the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He does, he does what we do every week. He proclaims good news to the Gentiles. And the church gives uncommon care through the Holy Spirit who falls on the Gentiles at this point. When the good news is preached, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people just like the Holy Spirit did at Pentecost in Acts 2 to the Jewish believers. Now this is like the, the Gentile Pentecost coming on this group of people from all nations, he falls on the people and people begin to be baptized because they're repenting. Nothing can prevent them from being baptized. And ultimately what happens here, again, the uncommon aspect of the church, what ultimately what all this leads to is the passage that Donna read in Acts 11, 1 to 18, is what happens is the church becomes an uncommon community. Really, for the first time in human history, a religion is relevant and made available to the whole world all at once, unmistakably, because God is the God of the universe. He's the creator God of the ends of the earth. He's the beginning and the end. He created all people. His Holy Spirit is made available to all people. When Jesus died on the cross, 
He did it to open a way to salvation for every man and woman and child. Salvation is in his name and it's now made available to all people. It's always been the case, but God here is is providing a major correction to God's people by clarifying and saying, listen, I made Israel a, a light to the nations so that the world could come to know me. And in large part, they, they didn't make that happen. So now God's just saying, let me make it unmistakably clear. When Jesus died on the cross, he did it so that all people could be saved. I want my church to be a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so when you come to places like Revelation 5 and 7, you read about every tribe, language, people, and nation falling before the Lamb of God and saying, honor and glory and power and dominion be to your name because salvation comes from you. Your blood has ransomed us as a people. That's the future we get to look forward to. And that's why when you turn on the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games on Friday night, you see a glimpse of what the new heavens and the new earth will look like. Just a tiny glimpse of culture and language and beauty that with Jesus at the center of it is what all of human history is marching towards. And it's a beautiful thought. It's a beautiful picture. And that's why the Olympics grab us in a place in our heart every four or five years this time. Because we get to see something that you really don't get to see very much, which is the world together. And that is God's plan for the world. Matthew 24 says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And this, friends, is why we pray for the world. This is why we pray for the unreached. Because that day is close. That day is coming. Uh, We have access to the world unlike ever before. And so as we read Acts 10 and 11 as a small church here in a small city in North America, may may we be reminded that we are part of a global tapestry that has an end date of when all nations, tribes, and tongues will be before God in heaven. Let me just close with a, a final illustration here. Um, the NBA Finals concluded last week. Sorry, this is a basketball story. I'm a basketball fan. The Finals this year were between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. And uh, both teams have not won a championship. The Phoenix Suns have never won a championship. The Milwaukee Bucks hadn't won one for 50 years. But ultimately, Milwaukee ended up winning. And after the last game ended, uh, the star player for the Milwaukee Bucks, his name was Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's from Greece. I practiced saying that name 100 times. so I didn't mess it up just now. He's from Greece. He grew up in a poor family. And now he's probably arguably the greatest basketball player in the world right now. He's just an amazing talent. And after the game, the next morning, uh, he had the the championship trophy and the MVP trophy, the most valuable player trophy. And he was driving through the drive-thru of a Chick-fil-A in Milwaukee. And he was like recording it on his cell phone and putting it on social media. Um, But people grabbed onto it because it was very uncommon. This multimillionaire driving his own car through a a normal Chick-fil-A and just trying to put smiles on people's faces in Milwaukee. Just very an uncommon uncommon thought. Uncommon in victory. 
The other side of the coin, the losing team, the Phoenix Suns, uh, their coach's name is Monty Williams. And if you don't know anything about Monty Williams, know this. His wife in 2016 was killed in a car accident. They have five kids. Monty is a believer in Jesus. He's a Christian. And he's become a head coach. And he's just well respected by people in the NBA. But after the final buzzer sounded of the last game where they lost, Giannis Antetokounmpo came to Monty Williams and invited Monty Williams, the coach of the losing team, to come to the locker room of the winning team because Monty Williams wanted to say something to the victors. He went into the locker room and he said, congratulations, well done, good series. You've made me a better coach. You've made us a better team. Congratulations on winning the championship. And he walks out. Uncommon in defeat. He's taken some criticism for that in the media this week. But that's what the church is to be like. Uncommon in the world, relentlessly unified, showing the world a different picture of what humanity is like. And that's what God is showing Peter and Cornelius in this beautiful story in Acts 10 and 11. So may we remember, church, that that God's church is a unified people, that it is uncommon, that when he he is on the move, uncommon things happen. And so as we go on in Acts, look for those beautiful realities. May we look for those things in our own lives this week, how God works in uncommon ways. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which clarifies and corrects, which brings beauty into the darkness, uh, which does things we never could have dreamed. Lord, may we be correctable, As we read your word as well, may we be people who don't show partiality. May we be people who are quick to be humbled. May we have the reaction of the church as well, of once they saw these things, they glorified God and said, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. May we experience that together. In Jesus' name, amen.